This is the podcast for Woodland Presbyterian Church in Memphis, Tennessee. We are maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. We hope you enjoy the message, and if you'd like to learn more about our church, look us up at woodlandpres.org. Thanks so much. May the Lord bless you. Recently, I read an article called uh, The Great Recalibration. Uh, It was about uh, the significant changes uh, that the pandemic has brought into uh, the workforce and to, uh, to the labor market. Um, obviously, when the pandemic first hit, uh, there were lots of layoffs and there was economic uncertainty about how we were going to be able to, to function as a society. But then uh, the economy opened up in a way because people uh, stopped spending money on certain things, uh, like going out to eat because you couldn't, but then they were buying lots of weights and exercise equipment or remodeling their homes. So the economy uh, you know, got going. And so there were workers shifted from one industry uh, to another industry. And you know, we probably experienced this if you've gone out to eat. You, know, you go, there's a, there's a big line of people waiting to eat and there's empty tables, there's not enough servers, and the ones who are there working, you wonder how long they've been serving food uh, as a career because you're kind of like, okay, just we need some more chips, right? Or, you know, like, what's going on here, right? It's just a challenge, you know? Um, maybe you face that. Um, so in this recalibration, the article was saying is that people were really thinking through, like, what do I want out of my career? Uh, some top executives were reshuffling their ideas about what it meant to be successful. Uh, people were saying, hey, I don't want to work in the service industry. I want to uh, go back to school, and I want to do something else. They were recalibrating their lives. People were working from home more. Some of you still are able to work from home in different ways. So those things have all recalibrated what the workforce is Uh, experiencing. It's, in a sense, for some people, a recalibration of their calling. So we have tools that we use in our lives, like uh, um, thermometers, uh, an oven, or even a clock, which actually measures time. And sometimes those tools, they get out of whack. They they get uh, to where they need to be recalibrated. Uh, They become inaccurate at measuring the things that are important, and they don't test reality properly. And so what we can do is to recalibrate those tools so that they're measuring properly, right? If you put in some brownies into the oven and the oven isn't calibrated correctly and you put in the wrong temperature, you're going to get those brownies out and they're not going to taste good. Well, for us, we have a similar uh, tool or gauge that exists within us. And it's, you could describe it as your heart or your soul. Um, These aspects of who we are in our inner being They help us to understand what is actually true, what is actually good, what is actually beautiful in this world. And if we don't tend to those tools, to those gauges that uh, form our hearts and our souls, then we can get to a place where we need to be recalibrated, right? We can actually see something isn't true or isn't good or isn't beautiful and think that it is more of that way than it actually is. Right, so we can get to the point where we would say, well, you know, if I only had a million dollars, then my life would be happy. Then I would really know that, that God is providing for me. Or we could think, you know, if I really just had a lot of people affirming me and telling me I was doing a good job or, or following me on my social media platform, if I had people affirming everything that I was doing, then, then I would really be significant. But we know down deep that that's really not where significance comes from. If you just look at the people who have the most followers, They don't seem to be leading the most fulfilled and joyful lives. 
So recalibration is a part of our lives in an ongoing way where we're constantly checking, is my heart and soul in line with the kingdom of God and the word of God so that way when I face the difficulties of life, when I experience hardship or sorrow or calamity, then I'm able to respond in a God-honoring way. So the Bible calls this process the sanctification process, where once we know who Jesus is, the one who really ultimately brings us into alignment with God, then we're continually formed as his disciple. We begin to understand what it means to to look at our salvation to become essentially more like Christ, that Christ would be magnified in us as we began our service. Through the ups and downs, the difficulties, the hardships, I'm becoming more like Jesus. And so this year, in an effort to recalibrate our hearts and our souls, we're going to be looking at uh, one of Paul's letters to the church in the city of Corinth, 1 Corinthians. And we see how Paul and the Holy Spirit are seeking to recalibrate this community of faith, uh, one that lived in a really challenging environment for someone to be a faithful follower of Jesus. There were many different viewpoints. There was a, a culture that was pressing into them, challenging them to live a certain way pushing them away from God, trying to divide them as a community. And so we're looking at how does Paul and the Holy Spirit speak into their lives together to foster a sense of unity, to encourage them in this journey of their faith, and to help them to be recalibrated. So that's the message uh, that we're going to begin entering into uh, this season. If you're able, please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. 1 Corinthians 1, 1 through 17. We're going to take a big bite this morning. This is the word of God. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there be no divisions among you, but you be united in this same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers and sisters. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanas. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send us to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. The word of God for the people of God. may be seated. Father, we thank you for your word. 
Uh, We thank you for Paul and his transformation. We thank you for the people of Corinth and their uh, desire to follow you and the lessons that we'll learn. Uh, Give us courage to hear and listen, but also to respond in obedience. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, Brandy and I celebrated our anniversary on the 29th of December, and it, it was a we always, well, the last few years what we've done is we've gone downtown Memphis and we stay in a different hotel and we go out to a different restaurant and we just spend time together and it's, it's really a fun thing. The last three years we've done this. And um, we don't go downtown often. Uh, my brother loves the blues and when he came to town, he was like, let's go down to Beale Street and listen to the blues. And he goes, how, how often do you come down here? I said, only when you're in town, Joel. Um, you know, I like going down to a game. You know, I've been down to Beale Street. You see the guys flipping, but it's just not really what I do all that much. But it's interesting because it was quite a contrast to what we had been doing just a few days before, right? Christmas Eve was the 24th. Christmas Day was the 25th. And we gathered in here for a celebration of the birth of Jesus with many of you and with many of people that we only see on that evening. And thank the Lord that they come on that evening. I'm so thankful to see people that I only see on that one, on that one evening. I wish they would come every Sunday, but they're here on that, that day. So it's an interesting experience to go from gathering in this room by candlelight to going downtown. When, you know, we'll stay at a hotel, we get a, get a dinner and just hang out. But this year was a little bit different. We went to this restaurant and we had a beautiful meal and we were sitting there talking and there was a couple that were sitting at the table next to us And they were from out of town. And they were talking to the server, and Brandy overheard them talking, and they're like, we're not from here, what should we do? And so this little conversation came up of like, what are the fun, like, Memphis-only things that you can do? And so it's like, well, you know, go to the Peabody and spend time in the lobby. And they've got it decorated so beautifully, the big tree, and people are all over from all over the place, and they're hanging out. And then, you know, go down to Beale Street and go into, you know, go try the Rum Boogie Cafe. That's the place you ought to go, you know? How many of you guys have you been there this weekend? Anyone? Yeah? Okay. All right, Wendy was there this weekend. No, she wasn't. I'm just kidding. You've been there. But it's a wild place, right? They're jamming. I went there with my brother. That's where he wanted to go. And so we're talking to them, and they're real nice. They're from, from out of town. And, uh, and then we're like, okay, see you later, you know. So then we walk, and we're like, well, let's go to the Peabody and just go down and sit. And when we got there, and there was this couple. And they're like, come over and hang out with us, you know, come sit with us. They're super just like, you know, reaching out to us. And we're like, hey, okay, we'll sit and hang out. So um, we spent the next four, maybe five hours hanging out with these folks. We, uh, we went, we spent some time at the Peabody, and then they wanted to go to Beale Street. And unfortunately, the Rum Boogie Cafe was closed. So we didn't go there, but we went to this other like, alley where this lady was just belting out the blues, just singing out. And there was a lot of people there. And some of them were just kind of swaying to the music, if you know what I'm saying. It was late. They were swaying to the music, you know what I mean? Right? And as we got to know this couple, we found out that they're atheists. And we started talking to them about life, about our children, about... Uh, the, the church, um, she had more of a faith background, but he, he, you know, he asked me, he said, well, what do you do? And I said, I'm a pastor, and here's the face that I always get. <laughs> Some people go, oh, that's awesome. Other people go, like, what, what do I say now? And so I'm just like, you know, I don't ever lead with, hey, by the way, I'm a pastor. I want you to get to know me as like a regular guy who likes to go out on his anniversary, right? But we're having this conversation. And it was, it was amazing because over time, as we got to know them, 
he gave us an opportunity to talk to them about Jesus. And to just tell them about who Jesus is. Yes, the church is a mess sometimes. Yes, there are difficulties and challenges. But Jesus, he's amazing. He changed my life. And so we spent, spent this time with him. And it was interesting to me as I was thinking about the contrast between spending time in a space that's dedicated for Christian worship, in which we did. We praised Jesus and we celebrated the incarnation. But there were some who gathered with us, and for whatever reason, at this stage in their life, it's not the time for them to really pursue Jesus, although we desire for them to. They simply come and experience the experience, but are not moved in such a way that they long to continue to grow in their relationship with Christ. Maybe in a sense they're going through the motions. And hey, there was a time in my life when I was certainly going through the motions. There were many, many Christmas Eve services where I held up the candle and I didn't know anything about Jesus. So I have great love and care for those who only come on Christmas Eve because I was one myself. But we think, man, you're just missing out. You're just going through the motions. And yet there are these people who gather on Beale Street. Now, I'm not saying that they're gathering for corporate worship. But when I listen to the, the songs that were coming out of this woman's mouth, the songs of hurt and of struggle and of sorrow and of hope, we can see that God is somehow working redemptively even in the pain and the sorrow that people experience when what they want to do is to stay out until 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning and just get hammered. We know that there's something going on there. And as far as maybe they're running from God, we know that God is present because he is present all over the world. And that he can even use people who just show up and start talking about Jesus in the weirdest situations. And I share that story with you because it was just, it was just a weird anniversary for us. But I'm thinking about the church in Corinth. And whenever I read the book of Corinthians, the, letter, the first letter of Corinthians, I'm always contrasting the letter of Corinthians to the letter of Galatians. Because Paul is the same guy, and he writes two different letters to two different communities of faith. Right, now, you may not remember this, but we studied Galatians some time ago. And, and the, the issue that the Galatians are facing is that they're being influenced by these religious people who are saying, yes, you need to believe in Jesus, but yes, you also need to be circumcised and you need to become culturally Jewish, obeying the law. The problem in Galatia is that people are trying to obey the law and be right with God. And so probably what was going on there was a sense of legalism. Right? Everyone was dressing up nice and going to church and doing all the right things, but deep down in there, in their hearts, there wasn't a true understanding that Jesus had overcome sin and death, and they didn't have to do these outward things to be in right relationship with God. And so what came up for them was legalism. Well, the contrast is the church in Corinth. If you know anything about Corinth, uh, it was a city where the, the temple of Aphrodite existed. Right? And in the temple of Aphrodite, there were all these workers. All these workers working in the oldest profession, if you know what I'm saying. Right? Because part of what happened in Corinth was people as a trade center would come from all over the place uh, with, with lots of money, lots of recreational time, and all these activities to engage in with the people who worked at the temple in the oldest profession, if you know what I'm saying. Are you with me? Okay, good. If you're not with me, that you're not intended to be with me because you're 13, 10, 11, 12, or younger. 
But so that's what's going on in Corinth, right? It's, it's a city of um, naughtiness, right? They're playing around. And think about the impact that thousands of workers and tens of thousands of people engaging with those workers, what happens as a result of that? Right? What are the relational factors that contribute to all that kind of stuff going on? You have unwanted pregnancies. You have things that get passed around. You have broken relationships. You don't have cohesive families that are committed with one man and one woman in the covenant of marriage. You got all of the result of that kind of culture. And yet, in Corinth, there's this church. There's this group of people that are seeking to follow Jesus that actually Paul had started. Paul was on a missionary journey. He got diverted from one place and went to to Corinth. And there, there was a community of people that began to follow Jesus. And what's fascinating to me about how Paul addresses uh, this community is that he is so loving and so kind and so generous toward them. He, He just treats them with such care. Now, that's been sharp contrast with the way that he treats the Galatians. Because if you go back and read Galatians chapter 1 and chapter 3, one of the things that Paul says is, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was proclaimed to be crucified. If anyone comes to you preaching a gospel other than the one I've preached to you, let him be condemned. That's the tone of Galatians. But what is the tone of Corinthians? Just go back and look at the first um, verses here. To the church in Corinth, those sanctified in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 4. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. These wild, pagan, crazy people are getting compassion and kindness and love and the truth of God's word. It's a lesson for me. Uh, as most of the time I spend with good church people, just like you. We spend time together in Christian community seeking to be faithful, and that's a wonderful thing. But I think when you are soundly uh, grounded in the faith, it's, it's good to wander down to Beale Street and go to Rum Boogie Cafe and just start talking about Jesus when you have the opportunity. I'm just saying, that's not an assignment. But where are those places? And when you go to those places, wherever the Lord may lead you to them, is your posture, is it like Paul toward the Galatians? Or is it like Paul toward the Corinthians? I'll confess that I often have a Corinthian posture when I'm in a, or a Galatian posture when I'm in a Corinthian setting. And I need God to change me and to remind me of what he's doing. And so Paul writes this letter. And he says to them, I want you to know that you're sanctified in Christ. That's our first uh, point of the day. Sanctified in Christ, verses 1 through 3. Sanctified uh, means holy ones. Um, And the tense indicates of of the word, it's that those who have been made holy. It's a passive word. Think of it. A people whose whole cultural experience is shaped by the worship of a Greek goddess and the cult practices of a temple. Paul says, you are sanctified. It's an astounding thing when you think about it. In light of how they lived and who they were and how they had come out of their culture, Paul says, you are sanctified. 
And that's what I want you to know. The first point of this message is that those who are in Christ are sanctified. Right? If you struggle with the, like with the Galatians of like being a legalist and try, try counting the things and doing the right things and keeping the list, and you struggle with that, know that in Christ you're sanctified and you can let go of keeping the law to be, to be right with God. But if you come from this other background, if you have this background in your past, this Corinthian background, you can know that in Christ you've been sanctified. Not because of anything that you've done, but because of what Jesus has done. So whether we're struggling with legalism or we're, we're engaging in licentiousness, when we meet Jesus, we're sanctified. We've been made holy. When God sees us, he looks down at us and he says, I don't remember the mean things that you said or the bad thoughts that you had or the, the activities that you engaged in that were wrong. I see Jesus and I love you. Now live for me. Next, Paul writes to those, he says, who are completed in Christ. So we know that uh, justification is this important word. So I've talked about two, these two big words, justification and sanctification. We already talked about sanctification is that process, and justification is that thing where God looks at us and says, in Christ, you've been made holy. You are justified. It's just as if I'd never sinned. And that process where we're going through life is sanctification. Well, Paul he says that this sanctification process, in a sense, is their completion. Right? Through his work on the cross, Jesus has completed them. Later in the letter, he calls them saints who are given grace and peace from God the Father. Right? How many people who are in Christ are a saint? If you're a Christian, are you a saint? Raise your hand. Do you have to be the Pope and have some miraculous thing happen to you to become a saint? According to the Bible. Are you a, if you're a Christian, are you a saint? Say, yes, I am. Raise my hand. Say, Lord, I am a saint. That's right. You say it. Say, Lord, I am a saint. And, Lord, I'm a sinner. You know, I say that one is loud, but it's still true. Right? That's what we are. Because it's what Jesus has made us. Now, we love our brothers and sisters in the Catholic Church, but we don't agree with them on that point. We love them, but we don't agree with them on that point. We say, Jesus has made me a saint. I am still a sinner, and he's in this process of working on me to help me to be the person that he wants me to be. But Jesus made me a saint. I have been completed. I have been made perfect and pure. And it's noteworthy, again, to think about the people from in, the, in, in, in Corinth, right? Their lifestyle seems far from God. Their struggles are real, and their burdens are hard to carry. These are the one who Paul speaks to with gentleness. And hey, maybe it's because they need care. And we know that folks who have been wandering far from God often need care. There's trauma, there's difficulty, there's brokenness. They don't act right. So they need gentleness. And in the same way, when I haven't acted right, I need patience and kindness and love. And God extends that to me. He gives his love to me. And you know what? He promises that love to me. Notice what Paul says is he, he thanks God for, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace that was given you in Christ Jesus. He thanks God for the growth, for the gifts, for all the things that would sustain them to the end through God's faithfulness. He's saying that God is going to complete them and he has completed them. He's spoken to them about God's current love for them, but also his future love. 
And one of the most beautiful things about a wedding is that when people make vows, uh, they make vows to each other and they make vows to the Lord. There's two vows that happen in a wedding. And one of the things they vow is future love. They're not just saying, hey, I really love you right now, but I'm going to love you in the future. And that's a risky thing to do because the person that you're making that vow to is likely going to change a little bit between when you make that statement and on down the road in the next four or five minutes. Four or five years. 50 years. People change. And you've made a promise that you're going to love them in the future. But when times are tough, that vow makes a difference. It says, yes, I promise in sickness and in health as long as we both shall live. It's a revelation of the relationship that God promises with his people when he also has entered into covenant with us. You see, God made a promise to join uh, through Christ, join us with him, and to get us through this life. And yes, we're in the middle of the life. Some of us are near the end of the life. Some are at the beginning of the life, but we're in that middle time. We're, we're asking God, we know you promised us that you're going to be with us. Keep fulfilling that promise so that I feel that promise today that you've promised me in the future. Lord, you're never going to leave me. You're never going to forsake me. And I don't know about you, but I need to hear that. I need to be reminded that God is saying these things to me and to us as a church. That he's with us and that he's for us and he's never going to leave us or forsake us. When we have difficult decisions to make, when there are hard things that we're working through, don't you need to be reminded that God is with you and he's never going to leave you? I mean, think about how many promises are unfulfilled in the, in the world. Have you felt discouraged? Are you burdened by the weariness of the world that we live in? Have you lost hope for humanity because of the arguing, because of the crime, because of the hurt, because of the pain? It's understandable because there's a lot to go around. I mean, who among us, when looking out at the pain and the suffering, of this world has not asked why. We often lose heart. And that's why we need to be recalibrated. The gauge in our heart that looks at the world and assesses it needs to be recalibrated with the Word of God and with the reminder of the promise that God has made to us. And so it's, it's okay to feel the sadness of the world and the brokenness of creation. Jesus wept. He wept at the death of his friend but recalibrated to remember that God is faithful. Look at verse 9. What does it say? God is faithful. It just tells us right there. God is faithful. Paul doesn't say, hey, way to go, Corinthians. You're faithful. You're doing a great job. You can do it. No, he says God is faithful. And consider that. Considering that, live in him. Rejoice in him. You've been completed. And finally, Paul says to the Corinthians to be united in Christ. He says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. Because you see what has happened. He's heard reports of quarreling in the church. Chloe has given him this news. Some say, I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. Others say, Cephas. I follow Christ. And he asks, verse 13, is Christ divided. Later in the letter, he addresses these disagreements within believers. We're going to look at more closely. We live in a divisive time, don't we? Are there differing views on things? Sure. Uh, I mean, how many times did it take the vote? 15 votes? 
within the same party to determine who the Speaker of the House was going to be. I think they're still voting, are they? Have they did that? It's fine. Right? E even with the people that we agree with, we can have disagreements. There's going to be disagreements. And Paul is not saying everybody has to have the same opinion. He's not saying you have to be uniform. He's saying you have to be unified. Politics, sports, music, baptism, you name it. Lots of things on which we can disagree. But Paul doesn't say, don't sing the songs that you like, or don't stop talking about matters that are important to you. He's not saying the way that we're in agreement is to just dismiss the disagreements. He doesn't say, don't express your feelings to those who've hurt you. He says, in a way, to have a sort of catharsis. And I use that word intentionally because a catharsis is a process of releasing and dealing with strong emotions. And that's one way that we can become unified, is to deal with the distinctions and the differences that we actually have. And that process of disagreeing agreeably helps us to become unified. And the word for unified in the text is the same root word as catharsis. Right? You don't just say, well, let's just shove it all aside and not talk about it, because then you don't really have unity when you do that. But he's also not saying, hold to your opinion so strongly that you can't see one another as brother and sister in Christ. He's saying have a catharsis. Right? And a catharsis is a painful experience. Right? It takes conversation. It takes sitting down and talking about and saying, help me understand your point of view. I don't get how you can get there from here. But we do that face to face. And we do it in a community, and we respect one another because, guess what? We have something really important in common, and what is that? Jesus. Right? Jesus. Notice that Paul says, have no divisions, be united in the same mind, everyone agree, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our agreement is to be in Jesus. And when we're looking at Jesus we're much more likely to be accepting of others' viewpoints, as crazy as they seem. Because when we see someone who has a differing viewpoint from ours, who is in Jesus, we're forced to understand, what's your story that got you there? Help me to understand where you're coming from. Not listening to what someone's saying online to try to get views and clicks and likes and links, but help me understand where you're coming from. See, when I look at Jesus, I realize that he's perfect, and I'm not. When I look at Jesus, I realize that he's eternal, and so often I'm just thinking about this very moment. When I'm looking at Jesus, I'm realizing that he is truly wise, and so often I'm just walking in the dark. When I look at Jesus, I see that he has a plan for this whole universe, that he's exceedingly patient, and so often I'm in a hurry to fix it now. The message of Corinthians, friends, is for us to look at Jesus, to see him as one who can provide true wisdom, that he is truly good, truly beautiful, truly worth following. Listen to what Paul says in verse 17, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. What is the gospel? It's the good news about what Jesus has done, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. What he's saying to us is that the cross of Christ has power. 
It has power to bring people from differing points of view together under the person of Jesus Christ. It has power to help us to understand and know that we have been completed, that God has done something in our lives, and that allows us then to live with hope and joy and freedom, not without care about what happens, but without worry about what's going to happen. And the power of the cross gives us the understanding that we've been sanctified and that we are being sanctified, that we're on this journey together as a church community. And so here's my invitation for you this morning. Whether you're reading through 1 Corinthians, whether you have some new reading plan, you know the best day to start a new Bible reading plan? Does anyone know the best day? Today. Not January 1st, no, no. January 8th is the best day to start a Bible reading plan. And if you miss today, you know what the, the second best day is? January 9th. What is God saying to you in light of how he wants to recalibrate your life and heart to bring you into alignment with himself? Right? You came. You're here. Now respond to the good news of what Jesus Christ has done to live into this completion, this sanctification, and this unity that God is forming within us as a church. Will you pray with me? Thank you for listening to this message from Woodland Presbyterian Church, maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. Again, if you'd like to learn more about our congregation, please visit us at woodlandpres.org. Thank you very much, and God bless you today.